You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. There's a character in the Narnia series that I love. His name is Reepicheep. He's the noble mouse. And he is one of the most honored of the creatures in Narnia. It's a fascinating thing, this little mouse that would be so overlooked normally, but C.S. Lewis elevates him to this great stature. And one of the things that he says as he's towards the end of his time, he says these words. He says, My own plans are made. While I can, I will sail east in the dawn treader towards Aslan's country. And when the dawn treader fails, I will paddle east in my oracle, my coracle, pardon me. And when she sinks, why am I, am I did it go dead? There we go, okay. <laughs> when she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I've not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose pointing towards Aslan's country. My plans are made. I know where I'm going. And he is single-minded in his focus. Because he knows where he's going, he keeps his direction straight towards Aslan's country. And his plans are are completely made. Whatever else anybody else decides to do, that's fine. But his plans are made. And friends, this is something that I pray for you. And I pray this for my children. Often, if my kids will ask me, what are you praying for me lately? It's always going to come down to this. Whatever else you get in life, whatever successes, learning to drive, graduating school, whatever, even finding a wonderful spouse, you know what I want more than anything for you, my children, and for this church, for each one of you? I want you to know and love Him actively. I want your love for Jesus to be warm and vibrant and active in your life. I want you to have your nose pointed towards God's heavenly kingdom and that you are forever undistracted by that desire to progress towards Him. And whatever situation, however it goes, you know where you're going, you know what you're about, and you're moving that direction like Reepicheep, moving towards Aslan's country. And there are a thousand other smaller successes that would tilt you just slightly off of that bearing. Slightly this way, slightly that way, and you never even realize that you have gone in the wrong direction because at first it looks like it's fine. Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see Paul calling out to Timothy and saying, Keep your heading clear. Focus on the main thing in life. Cut with straight lines what is true. Listen to these words. Remind them of these things. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but it ruins the hearers. Remind them. This is something they already know, but they are certainly prone to forget it. So remind them. They know it, but it's easy to forget. 
Well, who is the them? Who is Paul saying, remind them? Keep this in the sense of what you're reading and understanding is that Paul is talking to Timothy, who is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Now, that context could get lost for us. We have this tendency to read the Bible and start trying to plug ourselves right into the middle of this. Well, first and foremost, Paul is talking to the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And he says this, Remind the congregation in Ephesus. And in fact, don't only just remind them, charge them. Can you see the difference, the subtle difference that Paul is now shifting away from illustrations of join me in suffering as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer. He's shifting away from that to some very direct commands. Remind your congregation and charge them in front of God because God is present. God is listening. Charge them in front of God. Remind them not to go to war over words. Not to engage in a war of words. Now, before we make any kind of application, I just want you to hear this. The church in Ephesus is described in the book of Revelation. In fact, I want to read to you the rebuke that Jesus gives to the church of Ephesus later on. After saying to them that, I know you, I know this church, I know of its doctrine, I know of its toil and its hard work, I know how orthodox you are, but you've got a problem and it's a significant problem. You're enduring patiently, you're bearing up for my name's sake, you've not grown weary, but I have this against you, you have abandoned the love you had at first. How did that happen? A church with such rich history, such rich starting and revival as they repented in the streets in front of everybody, the burning of their books of magic. How does a church like that get a rebuke like this? I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not... I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Go back to 2 Timothy for a second. Don't wrangle about words. Don't get so caught up in fighting over words that you've lost track of what is true. You can get into a place where you are good at first century Twitter debates, whatever that looked like, Facebook collisions of the first century where you can defeat your opponent, you can embarrass them rhetorically, and you can absolutely ruin those who are listening, and you are not doing any good. You're not doing any good. You remind them of this. You charge them in front of God that they would not do this because you might find yourself in a place where you have won a debate, you have embarrassed somebody else for what they were thinking, and you've absolutely won and lost all at the same time. Church in Ephesus is being rebuked by Jesus because they've lost something of the love that they had, the humility they found in repentance and the love of God shining on them had gotten lost. Is it possible 
that a church like ours, as we move from that century into ours, is it possible that we could get very good doctrine, solid meat of the Word, and all of a sudden start to lose our sense of love for God, love for His grace in our life, and start to win debates and lose the heart of God, miss the heart of God? Absolutely that's possible. So you remind them, and then you charge them. Not to, it reads really, really strong in the Greek, stronger than it does in English. Warn them not to go to a war of words. Now, some of you are rightly thinking, time out. Words matter, right? Isn't there a time? Come on, truth matters. Surely we're not going to say that there's not a time to say what is true and to stand up and be counted? Well, it's a great observation. I'm glad you made it. Let's look at the next verse. That's fantastic. Let's keep looking. He says, Do your best, Timothy, to present yourself to God as one who is approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Words do matter. And after you've warned them, and after you've reminded them, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. I want you to first and foremost present yourself to God as one who is approved. You have a calling to stand in front of your church, Timothy, and say what is true. Even if it's completely unpopular, even if no one stands up and cheers, you present yourself first to God as someone who is approved. James, the apostle, the brother of Jesus, said, Let not many become teachers, brethren, because we will incur a stricter judgment. So Timothy... When it comes to this thing about truth that does matter and words that do matter, here's the first thing that you need to know. As a young pastor in that context, present yourself to God. Because your heart needs to be put in front of God Almighty every single week before the Bible even comes open, before you prepare to preach or teach something, first and foremost recognize that it is God who must approve of what you're going to say. Long before anybody else says, great job, or that was terrible, first and foremost, in front of God, let your heart be approved. I, many years ago, feels like a lifetime ago, before I worked at the treatment center that I've told you guys about many times, I worked for a place called Artec Window Tinning. It was like from 88 to like 90 or something like that, tinting windows on cars. And I really liked that job. It was a fun job. Uh, the guy that taught me to tint windows was named Matt Chrisman. And Matt was a very quiet guy until he wasn't. And we had these dealerships that we worked for as a window tent shop, and we had some GMC dealerships, so we'd tent trucks. And we had these Honda dealerships where we tent these Honda Accords. And, and I just loved this. And, and every now and then, someone, they would send us to the shop there at the dealership, and we'd do our work there. 
we would tent the cars there, and if you didn't get it right, within a week or two, someone would come back in, and they'd bring their Honda Accord, and they'd say, hey, this didn't look right. I wanted to bring it in to see if you could fix it. And oh my gosh, this was a bad moment, because Matt Chrisman was going to look not through the tent, but at it. And I still remember the way he would look at a car that I had tented at the dealership, and he'd be looking at the precision of the cuts. He'd be looking at the cleanliness of the application, the precision of it all. How did it look? And I remember him in disgust going, Oh, Robert, what are you doing? And he'd scratch off the piece of tent, hold it up at me, and he goes, This isn't good enough. Start over. <laughs> Listen, he taught me something in that job that has carried with me since that job. When you come, Timothy, into proclaiming the Word of God, there is a standard. There is a precision. And you guys remember this, or some of you guys know this, that Paul, in his other job, was a tent maker, right? And what he's actually saying in Greek is, you cut the lines straight, Timothy, Cut straight lines when it comes to God's Word. Cut it with precision. Handle it rightly. Be precise with the Word of God. If you don't and the seams are all off, we're going to have a leaky tent. It's, it's saying, before anything else, cut straight lines. Say what is there and do not hold back. Do not try to win the approval of men and the applause of people. Do not fear their anger and their disappointment in you. If you say something that aligns with God, it is cut straight. First and foremost, stand in front of God as one who has approved. And handle God's Word accurately. You have no other calling that is higher than that that you would say what is true. And so here's how this works. This is just how it works in my life. Before I even open the Bible to start preparing next week's sermon, I've got to sit with God and say, what is going on in my heart that I can't see? I've got to sharpen the scissors, if you will. Before anything is cut, Lord, you just show and reveal in my soul anything dishonoring to you. Anything of people-pleasing, anything of unrepented sin, anything that is dishonoring that you want to deal with, long before I just try and turn my brain and my heart and everything I've got towards understanding what the text says, first and foremost, sit in front of the Lord, listen to Him, repent, call out to Him, let Him wash over me with His love and His grace and with His truth, and then sit down and ask the Lord, what does it say? In the cleanest, clearest, boldest sense, what does your word say? And as the sermon is prepared, sometimes I go, oh my gosh, that is not going to be particularly easy for me to hear, let alone preach. Cut it straight. Say it boldly. Do not apologize. This is life-giving truth. Do not restrain because of the fear of man, what you know to be true. And believe me, this can be a hard thing because we live in the information age. There isn't a single great preacher you couldn't get on 
this afternoon and listen to a podcast or listen to a sermon from Tim Keller or from John Piper, from John MacArthur. You could get a hold of some great preaching, but here's the difference. None of those men are your pastor. Unless you're from California and I just don't know it. They're out there, right? I don't know, but if you're here, this word that God has put into His Word for us today, and that I have been called to preach out today, it is for you. And it must be clearly given. Be a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Your work will be examined, and it won't be Matt Chrisman this time. The Lord Almighty will examine my preaching, Timothy's preaching. There's a desire because of our own Humanity, I suppose, to just be liked and appreciated and whatever else. Okay, well, when the Lord God has filled you and, and refilled and, and corrected and loved you in this way, there's a freedom that comes with that to say what is there because it is life-giving. It is true. And so, Timothy, you present yourself to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed once your work has been examined, and you rightly handle the word of truth. But look at the next verse. Avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people more and more into ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Let's stop and look at this for a moment. This seems to be turning more away from the outside war of words to the interior of the church in Ephesus where they could get to fighting with one another. You avoid irreverent babble. This irreverent babble. It will lead people more and more into ungodliness. And the, this ungodliness will have an infectious quality to it. It will catch on, if you will. Like gangrene, he says. And gangrene is kind of an interesting way of describing this uh, infection in the body of the church. Because gangrene is a... Uh, an issue that happens when there's a lack of blood flow. And then it continues to work its way on when there's not enough blood flow. There is disease in the tissue and it starts to die. And he said, this thing that starts in the extremities, fingers and toes, will work its way inward and it will eventually kill your body, kill the whole body. What is it, this irreverent babble? Well, in this case, he points out two guys. Hymenaeus and Philetus. He names them. These are false teachers. These are guys who started off probably okay, and then it seems that they have swerved from the truth. Swerved. They were going straight. Something came at them, and they began to do this. They got off. They got distracted. They lost track of truth. Something else that was secondary. The resurrection and end times theology, something in there that is important but is not central, they made it elevated at the highest level. And they started to tell people in this congregation, this resurrection that's supposed to be coming at the end times, it's already happened and you've missed it. 
And they have swerved from the gospel. Out teaching one of my kids to drive. We're going down Williams Drive and a car comes very rapidly into that center turn lane right next to us. And what did my beloved child, I won't name names, would I, they, what did they do? They, they swerved away from that oncoming car because it looked like a collision was about to happen, right? That's exactly what's happened to these two guys. They got hung up in some peripheral that is important but not essential, and they elevated it to essential. They made it the main thing. This is the irreverent babble, and guess what happens? It starts to catch on. It starts to gain its traction. It, these guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, somehow got caught up watching late night YouTube videos about this stuff, and then they got spun up about it, and, and what did they do? They started telling others about it. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta hear this, and then all of a sudden you've got this chaos that's happening in the church of Ephesus. Why? They've gotten away from the gospel. They've lost track of the essential truths. Can I disagree with you about end times theology? Absolutely. I hold a position that's called historic pre-mill. There are others that are very close to that that are just wrong. And it's okay. They can be wrong. It's fine. <laughs> I don't really care if you, if you believe that you can... Uh, Speak in tongues. You know what? You and I will sit and we'll talk and, and we'll talk that thing through. I'm not going to part ways with you. I'm not going to make you out to be you know, someone that's just got a total miss. I'd say be careful not to make that something that the Corinthian church had made, which was everything. Essential. You're not even saved if you're not doing this. It's another version of what's happening here, right? They've elevated something. They've made it a, a bigger deal than it is. And there is room to understand what is open-handed. Things like the gifts and how they operate at different places in different times. It's nuanced in many ways. What there is no room for debate about is that Jesus is the only one who can save you from your sin. That He is returning someday. Maybe today. He is the incarnate Son of God. There's no room for debate about that. If you come that direction, I'm not going to swerve. Timothy, don't swerve. Don't do what Hymenaeus and Philetus did. They swerved away from it. And what did they do? They led others into this gangrene where blood flow has gotten lost. You know what the blood flow is in a church like that? A church like ours? Solid doctrinal teaching on the Gospel fellowship with other Christians in that gospel truth. And by doing so, they've swerved off and gotten distracted. And what have they done? They've upset the whole body of Christ there in Ephesus. So the arguing begins. So the fighting begins. Right? And you've got people who are good at doctrine and don't love Jesus anymore. And what does he say? You need to repent of that. And if you don't, I will come and I will take the lampstand and I will move it out of its place. You're going to have a church that continues to gather, but the Spirit of God and the truth of God will no longer be a part of that fellowship. 
mean, you're going to have meetings, you're going to have gatherings, you're going to have Easter egg hunts, you're going to have all that stuff. You're going to have a youth group, you're going to have all this fun thing and Jesus just isn't going to show up. Ugh. I, I, I hear that and go, golly, some verses really seem to have a blinking red light next to them. This whole passage has that. Remind them. Charge them. Timothy, you put your heart in front of God and you say what is true about who Jesus is, about how He saves, about how He sanctifies. You say what is true and don't swerve away from it. Don't get good at winning debates and elevating things that are outside of these gospel truths. With all patience and diligence, pull people aside quietly, reason with them, show them what is true, and do not deviate from it. That's what has gone on there in this church. Many years ago when Hope was just a little bitty girl, it was just me, Monica, and Hope, and we went to the Dallas Fair. A lot of you have been to the Dallas Fair. It's a lot of fun, especially when you're a kid, and it's just that midway, right, where there's big stuffed animals all around you and the sounds and the lights and all of that. And you think, my gosh, one dollar and I could win that huge tiger. And I saw someone carrying one of those. So they had to have won it. It's possible. And as we're walking through this midway with our three-year-old, her eyes are just this big. And they're calling out on either side of her. and, And I could see that she just wanted it all. Every last stuffed animal. And so what, what did we do? Well, Monica got on one side and I got on the other and we kind of shielded her. The problem was, I wanted to win that for her. I didn't care if I was going to spend 50 bucks on that stupid game. I wanted to win that prize for her. Friends, can you see this? You're in a battle whether you like it or not. There are distractions not only around your children but around you to fight for the ridiculous $3 whatever it costs to make that stuffed tiger. You'd spend 30 bucks, 40 bucks trying to win it because you have lost track of what really has value. It's all around us. Timothy, hold course. Say what is true. Present your heart. Don't be distracted. Because listen to this, and this is really encouraging. They are upsetting the faith of some. But look at this. But God's firm foundation stands. And it bears this seal that the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. They're going to upset the faith of some. That's going to happen. It's as if their, their whole spiritual life is in this locker, this uh, trunk, and their whole spiritual life is going to get dumped out on the ground and everything's going to go flying. It's going to upset the faith of some. But the anvil-like foundation of God's claim on you will not break under the weight of that. This will hold firm. God's foundation will be proven. The Lord knows who are His. He from eternity past wrote your name, sent His Son. His Son died. His Son rose again, victorious over sin and death. Your name is in His book. He called out to you. He 
ratcheted you to Himself. He brought you to Himself. He saved you. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to go, man, I, I hope this works out. I hope to make it. No, no, no. He knows your name. Your name is engraven on His hands, the psalmist says. So He's not going to let go of you. He's not going to hope for the best with you. He's going to secure you. And even when false doctrine comes in, and it sounds really good, sounds convincing, and the blood flow starts to get a little bit lower than it ought to be, God's not going to let you go. He's got you. That foundation will hold up through the storm. My wife Monica was at, uh, she went to Hope College, Holland, Michigan, mid-90s. There was a guy named Ben Patterson that was there. And on this campus that is Christian mostly in name only, it's more of a spoken faith than an authentic faith, um, Ben Patterson comes in and Ben's, Ben's quoted often by Tim Keller. He's quoted by um, who else? There's several guys that quote him that you go, wow, okay, Ben's not really well known, but He's written some great books. And so Ben comes onto this campus as the chaplain, and nobody is coming to campus or the chapel services. So they just took their services right out into the, uh, it's called the Grove, where the trees are out on campus. And they just started leading worship songs out there in the middle of the trees. And they just started singing worship songs. And suddenly, that whole chapel was just filled, standing room only within a semester. And people start getting saved. I mean, kids just start getting saved. And they're repenting of sin. And it was just this glorious, beautiful thing. Guess what happened? All of a sudden, a bunch of about 25 professors who were basically uh, Christian only in name started to complain and say, this guy is absolutely upsetting our whole campus. He will not affirm uh, gay marriage. He will not affirm any of this other stuff that we hold so dear. He's got to go. He's got to go. He's not loving. Right? And it could have been one of a hundred different things that he was preaching that was true. But they started leaning on him to pipe down or leave. Now, the students didn't know much about this. He just put a book out that was called When God Showed Up about this time. And so many of these kids, uh, 20-something years ago, they got saved, and a lot of them went into missions, a lot of them went in, in, into ministry, and it's just an incredible time. Guess what was going on in my life in the mid-90s? I was at Denton Bible Church, and the breeze of God's Spirit was blowing across North Texas at the same time. Hundreds of us at that time really had an encounter with God, and God started to just really show up in our lives and capture our, our hearts, and so many of us went into ministry. And we look back at that time and say, man, that was awesome what God did back then. And friends, He's about to do it again. I don't say that in a prophetic sense. My heart just tells me that God is about to move again. And opposition will come against that again. And the Lord's foundation will hold. And the opposition that comes against the church in that time will only reveal who is who. The Lord knows who are His. And soon you're going to know because what's the next seal that comes across this? It says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from evil. So seal number one is 
over the life of a believer is the Lord knows who are His. He's got your name. And pretty soon you'll know because those who are truly His, the love they have for Jesus will be compelling. It won't always be as obvious as it ought to be and as you want it to be. Sometimes you look right at your own life and go, gosh, why is this pattern of sin still in me? I, I kind of hate this. I hate that I still long for sin. Surely you've felt that. I've felt that. My heart still wants to go astray sometimes, and I hate that. But there's a desire to depart from that. Why? Because I love Jesus, and He loves me. And when that love starts to shine on you, when the breeze of God's Spirit starts to blow on you and light up that flame in you, there is a real desire to push away the sin that would keep you from Him. Martin Lloyd-Jones always spoke of this. He didn't always, but he repeated this phrase often about the shyness of the Holy Spirit. And I was like, shyness of the Holy Spirit? You're talking about the third person of the Trinity. Why, why would he be shy? See, his way of describing something that I think is pretty profound is that those little nudges of the Lord's work in your life, that's the person of the Holy Spirit at work in you, calling you to Himself, calling you to push away from sin, calling you deeper into Jesus, calling you to let go of certain things. And at times, it's a very still, small voice. And Martin Lloyd-Jones would always say, listen for that voice, that shy voice, because sometimes it's very quiet, and fan that voice into flames. And as His fire begins to burn in our hearts, you will depart from evil. You won't be able to coexist peacefully with sin in your life. And over time, you'll find that you are pushing further and further away. Yes, you'll have moments of worldliness and absolute rebellion but the trajectory of your life will be towards Aslan's country, moving further towards him, further away from the life of rebellion. I don't think you can do this by yourself. I really don't. I think God intended us to live in community with each other and travel towards Aslan's country together. How do we do that? With all these forces, all these voices, Pushing against that, we keep our eyes fixed on what is true and preach what is true, make no apology for what is true, and walk forward together, stumbling forward towards the kingdom of God. Can I invite you again not to sit on the peripheral of the church? Yes, be a part of our worship every Sunday. Sing out what is true, what is glorious with us. Confess what is true, what is wonderful about God and His saving grace. Listen as the sermon is preached by me and other men. Listen well, take notes, and then show up in a gospel community and talk about those things. Pray about those things. Laugh. Make friends. And let one more week pass by. And one more month and maybe one more year that you're closer to face-to-face -face seeing our King with no mirror dimly and falling before Him and saying, thank you for safely bringing me home. Until then, what do we do? We remember Jesus Christ. 
We remember His crucified body. We remember His blood poured out. We remember that that sacrifice was more than a match for our sin and more than a match for our rebellion and that He rose victorious over sin and death for us. And that in Him we have something that is precious to us. We have union with the Father. It's called communion because we have Christ, a Savior. So every week we eat, we drink, we remember. We're going to do it again today. I want you to take a few minutes and pray about what you've heard. Pray with me and and then pray and talk to the Father about what you've heard today as He calls you back to Himself, as He focuses your direction again. Let's pray.